Hey, video game fans, I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Push Dustin. And this is Memory Card. I've got some exciting news, Push. Oh, um, did you get that weird butt thing? You know, the thing that we talked about before? Did you get that looked at? No, I, I told you that in confidence. Come on, man. Oh, um, did they finally announce Spylift for Smash Bros? Uh, unfortunately, that's not it. Oh, okay, well, what is it? We passed our second funding goal on Patreon, which means... Oh, we can quit our jobs and do memory card full-time. <laughs> no, not quite. But we are going to add two more episodes to the end of this season. This was going to be our last episode, but now it's not. Well, I guess that calls for a celebration. This episode is going to be another one that is full of blips. And if you missed our last blips episode, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to it. Not that you need to, to understand this one, but basically we're each going to be sharing little gaming history stories that weren't worthy of their, in their own entire episodes. And I'm going to be starting with a very important question for you, Push. Okay. What were the systems of your childhood, the video game consoles, that were the big hitters when you were young? Home consoles, right? Yeah. My first console that I actually got was a Super Sega Genesis, and I got it for Christmas. You know, the one with uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with uh, the two controllers? Nice. That was my first system. And then I moved on to the N64 when that was released. And then I went back to the Super Famicom. Well, actually, uh, sorry, Super Nintendo. So, like, after the 64, you got a Super Nintendo and... Yeah. I had a Game Boy for all those years, so, like, I was mostly, like, a handheld player. Like, I played a lot of Game Boy because it would take, like, lots of trips and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I was really into, like, N64, and I got GameCube on launch. Mine's very similar, although I never had a Genesis as a kid. I always had a friend with a Genesis, so I'd go play there. But, yeah, it was Super Nintendo right off the bat, and then moved to the N64 just like you. And mm. then it was kind of just Nintendo up until about the PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3. I, I never really got big into the NES. It was like just a little bit before my time. As a kid, even like reading through Nintendo Power and stuff, did you have any idea what the Famicom was? When I was really young, I was um, in a hospital for like a month because I had a uh, kidney surgery. And during that time, I played like Nintendo and Super Nintendo as well. Did you play a Famicom? No, didn't, I didn't play a Famicom until I went, came to Japan. I think I saw it like in magazines and maybe in some very early online stuff. And I don't think I made the connection that it like it was the NES of Japan. I thought like maybe mm. it was something that came before the NES, like they had their own thing. It looks pretty different too. It really does. Yeah, and I think that's why it just I wasn't really aware of it and then when I was I was like, okay, that's something completely different. Yeah. So the connection here is I'm going to talk about this weird little feature that the Famicom has that the NES doesn't. Okay. So the Famicom came out in 1983, and it was Nintendo's second home console line after they had these color TV games, mm. which were kind of like like Pong and stuff. They're like these, yeah, different variations. Yeah, and there was only like six or so games per machine that you bought. The Famicom, for those who don't know, who've never seen one or maybe never seen one in real life, it's quite a bit smaller than the NES. Mm -hmm. and it's like kind of curvy and crimson and white colored the controllers have like little gold plating on them at least some of them do yeah 
Also, the controllers, which is kind of the focus here, it, they're tethered to the back of the system, mm -hmm. which can make it kind of a pain to play it if you want to get far away from the TV itself. <laughs> yeah. And then the NES looks kind of like a moxie gray VCR. Actually, when I was uh, researching this, I found out that they actually modeled it after VCRs because they were so popular at the time. Is it just because they were like, this is what people would want next to their TV? Yeah. People like insert videotapes into VCRs. So we want them to have that same feeling of like inserting something instead of like putting mm. it straight down into a cartridge slot, which is what the Famicom was. So the NES looked like a VCR, the Famicom looked much different, and uh, the Famicom had a built-in microphone that was only on the second player controller, and it was in place of the start and select buttons. Mm -hmm. So if you were second player, you could not pause the game Serves or right. make important <laughs> selections. Yeah, exactly. Like, man, talk about like second tier citizen here. So the, the microphone was just, it just kind of looks like a series of holes, but only one of them is actually open. It's more of like an aesthetic look and it, it took in noise, but it didn't really like register the fact that you were saying certain things. I think it just registered the fact that you were being loud at all. Yeah. It was added to the Famicom by Nintendo R&D head. And I'm going to butcher this name as usual. Masayuki Yamura, I think. Masa, yeah. So he was the one who decided that it would be a good idea to add it. No one really knows why, because it really wasn't used that much. It, it, it pretty much only showed up in like, I don't know, a dozen or so of the Famicom games. And just for reference, there have been over a thousand Famicom games. And they're still coming out. Yeah, people still make their own. It's kind of weird because it was a feature since launch, you know. I mean, it was there from the very beginning of the Famicom. And the developers, I guess, just weren't that into using it. Do you know what year Nintendo officially stopped supporting the Famicom in Japan? Like, they stopped selling like parts. Like, Yeah, repairing. It was really late. Like, I remember I looked into this before because um, I have a Famicom disk system. I think it was, like, 1990... No, no, it was, like, 2000, even, maybe. 2004? 2003. Oh, okay. Yeah, so 20 years. I mean, you know, 1983 to 2003, they were still supporting the Famicom, which is insane. Yeah. So the microphone... You would think that it would be used mostly for players to do like special attacks as a second player, you know, like, oh, well, so you have start and select. Well, I have a microphone. Mm. But really, it was mostly just used as a way to hide like Easter eggs for single player games. It's kind of like, well, you're going to ignore this controller. So chances are you're not going to say anything into the mic. But if you do, whoa, there's all these secrets that are going to happen. It's kind of like um, CDs back in the day with the... the 10 minutes of dead space that they would leave uh-huh at the very end <laughs> the and then secret. like leave a secret track at the end <laughs> you might just shout something in anger and then all of a sudden you know something happens like whoa wait how did the game know oh that's right because it had the built-in yeah. microphone <laughs> the most famous example of this is the zelda enemy who's called pole's voice yep and they kind of look like a bunny they're supposed to be ghosts yeah yeah they're supposed to be ghosts but they look kind of like rabbits or or maybe mice with big big ears and I mean, I guess that's the giveaway that they have huge ears. And in the Japanese manual for the first Zelda game, it said that they hate noise, which was like the like mm. hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And so if you shouted into the second player Famicom microphone, they would all like spontaneously combust on screen. <laughs> yeah. And if you tried to hit them like with your sword or whatever, you could kill them. But it took like a lot of hits. And, you know, yeah, a, a lot of Zelda dungeons are destroy all the enemies in the room. So. 
that could take some time. Mm -hmm. The second biggest one where it showed up was in Kid Icarus, which I feel like a lot of people don't know as much. And that's the game that stars Pit from Super Smash mm -hmm. Brothers fame. And what you could do was when you got to yeah. the shopkeeper in the game, which I think he was at the end of every level or maybe every so many levels, you could talk into the microphone to make him lower his prices. Oh, okay. It's kind of like you're haggling with him <laughs> to get yeah. the prices down. But what people found out was that he, he didn't really care what you said, you know, because of the microphone's capabilities. He just wanted you to make as much noise as possible. And the best way to do that was to blow into the microphone. The DS was the same way with its mic for a while. Like it, if you just blew into it, it was better than talking. It's true. It just, I mean, if they want a noise, they want a noise, right? Yeah. Push, you want to do some, uh, you want to do some role play? You want to be the shopkeeper and I will be, uh, uh, are we doing um ASMR? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> listen, everyone, everyone, listen up. Here we are. We're in the shop. <laughs> let, let me just. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> All right, you be the shopkeeper. Okay, I'm coming. Hey, hey, hey! I'd like to. I'd like to. Um, hey, uh, I want to purchase a new bow, please. No, no. How much is it? N uh, like five hundred. Well, how about? Um. Can, can, can you just get out of my store? I'll give it to you for 400 Jeez. Oh, man, it works so well. Please, everyone, try this in real life. <laughs> just spit blow all on, over blow my on face. The, <laughs> blow on the clerk at Best Buy until he sells you Amiibo for $5. <laughs> well, if there is a bell, then they're probably like $3. Oh, man. So there's three games that people basically think of when they think of the Famicom microphone. And the third one is Takashi's Challenge which was made by this comedian named Beat Takashi. Um, and it's such a weird game. Yeah. You can like run around and beat people up. You can divorce your wife. You can... You have to divorce your wife, actually. You have to. Yeah, you think you yeah. have to to beat the game. You can like drink at the bar and steal yeah. people's money and paraglide over Russia. It is Yeah, you go crazy. for like a treasure hunt, right? Yeah, you're like a salary man in Japan. Yeah. And the rumor was that, that Beat Takashi wanted players to like suffer like he thought it was a stupid idea to make a video mm. game and so he was like let's make it as ridiculous as possible and really hard to beat and uh there's these two commercials that they came out um and, and a lot of commercials back then did not feature the the microphone you know just kind of like hey look the famicom you can change cartridges and play all these different games but it was never mm. like and also a microphone <laughs> we have one of those and so in, in one of the commercials he just yells into the microphone for a map to come out and it it does mm. And in the second one, he sings karaoke into it, which are both things that you have to do in the game. But I'm pretty sure the game never actually tells you. The game doesn't tell you much at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> so these are like hints like, oh, I hope you were watching TV and saw these weird commercials. Yeah. And then like if you didn't have the actual game, like the manual would give you some hints and stuff like that. Like if you didn't know all this information, it would be impossible. Mm hmm. But the legacy of the Nintendo microphone kind of lived on beyond the Famicom. Obviously, it got cut. Uh, didn't make it to the nes no one in the united yeah. states got to have the pleasure of screaming into it but <laughs> hey you pikachu for the n64 had a mic um odama and mario party 4 for the gamecube had a mic and then like you mentioned before the the ds and the 3ds kind of had it built in for nintendogs and the brain training game and then the warioware series i think mm. was maybe the the first uh yep. game that made me aware of it because they had those retro those 8-bit games based on old classic Japanese games where mm -hmm. you had to blow and things would happen. And they're like, oh, wait, maybe this was a real thing. It's very yeah. meta. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, the Famicom mic was included in the Famicom Classic Mini in 2018, but 
it was just a sticker. They didn't want to actually put a real one in there because it would have only worked with one game and that it's just not worth it. Yeah. Unfortunately, so the Pulse voice I mentioned before, when it came when Zelda came to America, they changed it so it was weak against arrows, mm. but they forgot to change it to that version for the Famicom Classic Mini, so you can't kill it with arrows and you can't kill it with your voice. <laughs> so people just had to Suffered. just like hack away at it, yeah. And then most recently, there's been uh, special Famicom Joy-Cons mm. uh, for the Nintendo Online subscribers in Japan. And that one actually has a working mic. Oh. And it's the only official Nintendo Switch controller with a working mic. Pro controllers don't have it. The normal Joy-Cons don't have it, which is kind of backwards, you know, like the only, the most advanced microphone that Nintendo has is modeled after something from 1983. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Famicom microphone. It's very weird. It's very Nintendo and it's like simultaneously innovative and absurd which is very much on brand all right what's your what's your first blip push so um i have two blips today and um they're kind of loosely connected okay the the question for you is can you guess how and i guess the listeners as well can you can you guys figure out what the connection is all right so the the, my first blip is about bomberman cart you know bomberman right bomberman has been around since like what 1985 yeah i know bomberman we're good yeah. friends yeah, yeah yeah you know go way back <laughs> 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 kind of blows up sometimes mm-hmm. um he, he's been in like what like over 70 games and stuff like that and yeah, like, something ridiculous like that have you what, what bomberman games have you actually played you know i played some bomberman games in the arcade when i went to japan uh this last summer but the one actually that i got the biggest into what would be, I would say, Bomberman Hero on the N64, okay. and also uh, Bomberman Generations for the GameCube, which I feel like a lot of people don't know about, but that was a big hit with, with me and my friends. Yeah, I, I was really into Bomberman Generations as well for the GameCube. Nice. Um, that's the one where like, you could like raise like your like pets or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I just remember the opening, she's like, Bomberman Generations! Yeah. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Gonna blow up my friends. Yeah. The Bomberman that I actually mostly remember or have a lot, like a really fond memory of is like the unofficial Bomberman, mm-hmm. like online, where you could like play online with your friends. Oh, right. And we used to play that like during school when the teachers weren't looking. We we're like, okay, we got to get, got to play some Bomberman. Hack the system. And then the latest uh, Bomberman is uh, Super Bomberman R, which came out for like the Switch. And I think it was later released for the PS4. Mm-hmm. What does the R stand for? Returns? Not sure, actually. Ravioli? <laughs> Probably ravioli. <laughs> I don't know if they ever said. In the early 2000s, Bomberman joined other, you know, mascot characters and had his own uh, racing game. Have you ever actually seen this? No, I don't think so. I mean, I might have heard of it, but I mean, I don't even know what system it was for. Or was it for mobile? So yeah, it was released in December 20th, 2001 and oh god okay so it wasn't for mobile yeah it was only released in europe and japan hmm. so it never came to the states we couldn't we couldn't handle it it was released on the playstation 2 oh okay if you ever get a chance please please watch the um attract mode of it uh attract mode is like where the demo plays before the you know when it's still on the title screen try to get you like really pumped up to play hmm. it has like one of the worst attract modes i've ever seen it's just the white bomber uh shiroban he is just crashing into the wall over and over again what like 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 animated footage or actual in-game footage no no this is like actual game footage like they like one of the developers you know they they had this they recorded it 
and we're like, this is this is what it's gonna get people really excited to play this game. Oh, God. Is just like the character going off the course and like running into a wall and trying to turn around and they can't. <laughs> and then it comes up with like the splash image of um the the white bomber. And it's just like you can play as the white bomber, and he's just like still trying to like back up. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. Why? So the game has only only a few racers actually. Um, I'll just re- refer to them as their English names. So the white bomber, the black bomber, the pretty bomber, which is like the pink one, gold bomber, mm-hmm. um, the red bomber, and then the racer bomber. I don't I don't think I know that last one. <laughs> See special. The Racer Bomber, I think he did appear in the uh, Bomberman anime. Mm. But yeah, he was like, you know, the the bomber that is like really into racing and he's really hot-headed and always wants to win and stuff like that. He's he's actually the best racer in the game. Oh, is he one you have to unlock or something later on? Yeah, yeah, he's the only unlockable character. So that's all of them, though? That was only like yeah. seven or something. Jeez. Yeah, and then it had only seven types of cards and eight tracks. But it allowed uh, up to four players to play against each other on the PlayStation 2. With like a multi-tap? And um, it also included the classic normal Bomberman, you know, overhead. Wait, like in carts or just normal Bomberman game? No, normal Bomberman game as like a, a side mission, as a side content. That's weird. But then they would actually go on to update the game with a new title called Bomberman Kart DX. And that would only be released in Japan. Also for the PlayStation 2? Yep, also for PlayStation 2. It says um, they added seven more characters, all those characters being like enemy characters or like evil characters. And it added like a full-on RPG mode with a story. Wow. Yeah, called uh, Cart King. The director, because, you know, DX is director's cut, right? Yeah. Yeah, the director was like, guys, we got it. You remember all that cool stuff I wanted? <laughs> Can we please get that back in the game? Um, I watched a, a most of the playthrough for the RPG mode, and it's pretty insane. They have, like, unique missions where you have to, like, either, you know, you can't slow down or you have to, like, stop at a certain point. So it's it has a lot of variety for it, for, you know, being a mission-based RPG go-karting game. I was going to say, so the RPG part is still within the go-kart part of it? The RPG is, like, a separate, like, it's all sprites in, like, 2D. Uh-huh. And then it transitions into the kart racing like every once in a while. Okay. I was thinking kind of like Diddy Kong racing or something. And there's a huge amounts of dialogue. All right. You'll have to check it out. Yeah. I, there's, I feel like Mario Kart inspired a ton of weird kart racers. I mean, obviously, like Crash Team Racing is very beloved for being like the number one hit on the PlayStation when it came to kart racing. Cloud was in a kart racing as well. Cloud from Final Fantasy? Final Fantasy had a kart racing game. I know there's like Nicktoon racing. There's Garfield racing. There's a lot of weird ones out there. Hey, folks. We're putting this episode on pause for a moment to reveal how you can help Memory Card. If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to support our gaming history endeavors, you should consider pledging a dollar or two to our Patreon. For a single dollar a month, you'll receive special updates and be given the option of ad-free episodes. You won't have to hear this ad, the one that you're currently listening to, ever again. For $2 a month, you'll become an official member of Club 251, which gives listeners access to exclusive bonus content and detailed transcripts via our memory card website. 
Every little bit pledged helps us improve the show and grow Memory Card into something even more wonderful. Find out more on the support section of our website or at patreon.com backslash memcard. That's patreon.com backslash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. And now, back to the show. All right, so my second blip is not at all tied to my first, like yours might be. And it starts with another question for you, a very important one, and that is, who is your favorite fictional cat? Fictional cat? Yes. Um, maybe uh, Salem from uh, Sabrina's Teenage Witch. Nice. All right. I thought you were going to say Garfield. Ah, oh, I should have gone with Garfield. <laughs> yeah. No, you shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> Garfield, Heathcliff, uh, Meowth, I guess. Yeah, that's a fictional oh, cat. Yeah. Yeah. See, I wasn't even thinking about video games. I was thinking about like TV <laughs> and movies. I was like, Kiki's, like Gigi from Kiki's. Yeah, um... Gigi from Kiki's. That's my, I think that's my favorite. So my second blip is actually about Socks the Cat. Do you know who Socks the Cat is? Isn't that um, one of the president's cat? Like, um, isn't it Bill, Cl- Bill Clinton? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. not a fictional cat. <laughs> it's funny because I asked my younger brother if he knew. I was like, do you know who Socks the Cat is? And he was like, oh, isn't that cat from Sonic? <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> it sounds like a Sonic character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he might have been joking. We're going to talk a little bit about Socks the Cat, who was the cat that um, was owned by the Clinton family during their time in the White House. Things are going to get a little bit political. I think you, you expected me not to know about this, but you, you do realize <laughs> I, I studied political science in college. Yes, of course. <laughs> I definitely remember that. I don't think it's ever been mentioned on the show before, though. Prepare to get a, a, just a, a wave of angry emails about something political related. <laughs> that's this i've learned not to or should i say <laughs> perlitical hmm. oh oh so socks the cat rocks the hill was a platform video game developed by real-time associates for the super nintendo and i guess there was also supposed to be a genesis version that was like a little bit different which you know happened kind of back in time yeah aladdin yeah wanking yeah. Yeah, so in one version, Socks the Cat had a sword, and the other one, he threw apples. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite, wasn't quite like that. Actually, no one really knows what the Genesis game was going to be like, because they never mm. really got there. Oh, uh, so no, like, not even a prototype stage. They just not, canceled yeah, it early. Not, not for Genesis, at least. The Super Nintendo one, it's a completely different story. The developers were real-time associates. The publishers were Con- Koneko, which was a Japanese publishing company that also had, like, a North American branch. And they were known for making Chester Cheetah too cool to fool mm. for the Super Nintendo and Chester Cheetah Wild Wild Quest for the Genesis. Yeah, so, so they're just like totally riding on like licensed properties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Real Time Associates, which I think is still around, maybe not. I think maybe they shut down in the in the mid two thousands. They made Gex and Enter the Gecko for the N sixty four. Oh. And they also made the Bug series for Sega Saturn which was actually one of the very first like 3D platformers. It was kind of like a like a 2.5D where you had to stay on a track. Mm. But it was I guess it was like a decently big hit for the Sega Saturn. They made a they made a second one, Bug and Bug 2. But basically what happened was they wanted to make a game about the president's cat, which is an interesting idea. But the Clinton family didn't actually own the license to their own cat. <laughs> just, it, it, that's 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 pretty bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like who owns the license to my pet dog? I don't. I don't know. Someone out there? I think it's me. <laughs> but there was a fan club known as the Presidential Socks Partnership that actually owned the rights to mm. um, Socks the Cat, and so Koneko had to go purchase the license from the fan club, 
and to do so, they also had to give to the Humane Society of the United States and the Children's Defense Fund. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's like, hey, you know. yeah, it's not bad. It's just kind of a weird situation. But how how did the fan club get the rights to the president's I, I, cat? I'm sure they were just like, we love your cat, and we want to spread the message that it's a good cat with great values, or I don't know, <laughs> and that the Clintons were just like, yeah, yeah sure, you do that. <laughs> I have no idea. I guess that's a whole different rabbit hole to go down. Huh. They got the rights for it. They made this amazing box art that has uh, Bill Clinton playing his saxophone. And Socks the Cat is coming out of the saxophone holding sunglasses. <laughs> yep. Very much like has an attitude, you know, kind of like Sonic and, whoa, who's that, hor- who's that horrible cat? Um, Bubsy. Bub- Bubsy. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like a, a combination of those. The game was originally scheduled to be released in the fall of 1993, but it kept experiencing these delays. It was like shown off at trade shows, some kind of like a Chicago video game convention. They just couldn't get the cat movement right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get him to, to do what they wanted to. The game was actually completely done. Like they sent out review copies to different publications. It was reviewed by Nintendo Power, who gave it 3.2 out of 5. Electric Gaming Monthly gave it 5.8 out of 10. So, you know, it sounds like it would have been just a, a major hit yeah. if it had ever actually come out. But what happened was uh, Kaneko went under. They went bankrupt. <laughs> they, they went bust. <laughs> yeah. And they had to cancel the game despite it being completely finished. They just did not have the resources to put it out and promote it and all that. So the actual game is set in Washington, D.C., obviously, because Sox the Cat lived there back in the 90s. The cat is trying to make his way back to the White House to warn to warn the Clinton family of the stolen nuclear missile launch device. Mm. And I guess it's just full of political satire, which is weird because it's obviously a kid's game. Yeah. You can go to the Pentagon. You can go to these like Washington, D.C. landmarks uh, like George H.W. Bush shows up. Um, Richard Nixon can call in bomb raids. And Nintendo had this rule at the time that was like, you cannot have like super political games that come out for our systems. Like, it's just not allowed. But I guess they sent it to the people at Nintendo and they just like thought it was great. <laughs> they thought it was hilarious. It, I guess it towed the line just enough. Yeah, it probably was like over the top where it was like so over the top that they were just like, yeah, that, yeah. That's They're like, well, no one's going to buy it. So yeah, go ahead, put it out. <laughs> yeah. It got canceled, like I said. And then later someone found a prototype and they. Uh, sold it on eBay to someone else who was like, you know, I guess they could have just dumped it online, but instead they were like, hey, guess what? Like, I'm going to remaster this <laughs> and I'm going to put it on Kickstarter. So there was a Kickstarter for Socks the Cat, Rocks the Hill, which I have no memory of. And it successfully got its goal and it was supposed to be released in 2017 and it finally was released in 2018. Um, and once again, I heard nothing about it. I think I like heard about that because like I was looking into like President's Pets at one point. They're saying like you know Socks the Cat was like really popular, even so so popular that he even had a video game kind of thing. <laughs> like, did he? I'm like, <laughs> I don't remember. Like, that. I remember Socks the Cat being a thing, like when I was really young. See, I I don't. I really don't. But my wife says she wrote like a letter to Socks the Cat. Really? I mean, in 1993, she and I would have both been like five or six. So I guess that makes sense. You're like, oh, man, presidential cat. Yeah. But yeah, I had no idea about this game. Um, unfortunately, the bad news is 
well, I don't know if it's bad news, that uh, Socks the Cat died in 2009. So I guess the good news is that even though Socks the Cat did not get to experience his own video game while he was alive, his legacy will live on forever. Yeah, that's right. As a, as a kind of crappy platform <laughs> <laughs> that was revived in 2016. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't, uh, I don't know if I'd recommend going and playing Socks the Cat Rocks the Hill, but maybe just go watch some YouTube footage to get a good grasp of, I mean, I, I guess it's a decent platformer. 3.25 you know, or whatever out of 5 isn't the worst score, but. I mean, you're playing it mainly for like the kicks of like the whole, the whole uh, ridiculous, uh, how ridiculous the story is. Right, right. And your love of, of the Clintons uh, or uh, yeah. George uh, W. Bush or something. <laughs> Of the cat. <laughs> yeah. All right, Push, what's your number two blip? My second one is about Dance Dance Revolution. All right. Yeah. I love have that you... game. Yeah, okay. What, uh, what games have you played in DDR? Uh, so I had a neighbor friend who had it for PlayStation 2, and he had two mats, so we would constantly mm. go head-to-head. I can't remember exactly which one it was. Dance Dance Revolution 2. There's so many, like Mega Mix, like Hottest yeah. Party and all that crazy stuff. And I definitely owned and still do own the DDR Mario mix. Okay. Is that what your thing is about? No. Okay. All right. Good. I didn't want to didn't want to cut you off there. But yeah, that one that one for sure was the one I played the most was the Dance Dance Revolution Mario mix. And I think there was one in our local mall that I would hop on occasionally. I wasn't I wasn't the best. Wasn't the Mario mix like just like really like generic songs like yeah they're, like classic they're not the best, classic songs. But I mean, there are some really good like actual Mario remixes on there. Oh really? Yeah. There's one where you like dance in a cabin and it was really, really fun. Yeah, I haven't played it in a while. I might have to bust it out. Okay. Well, um, my question was, um, what is the first Dance Dance Revolution game that was released on a Nintendo console? Well, I assume it was the Mario one I just mentioned. No, it's not. No? No, there's one that predates it. Is there a sixty four one? Um, there is a Mickey Mouse uh sixty four DDR game that was released in Japan. Oh. Yeah, but that's okay. still not the earliest one. Oh, uh, Super Nintendo? Nope. NES? Nope. Wait, what? Yeah. G- game Boy? <laughs> yes. Is it Game Boy? DDR game? They, they made um, multiple DDR games for the Game Boy Color. With, with actual pads? It came with a plastic pad that would fit over the Game Boy, and, and so you would use your fingers... Oh. It wasn't like an actual mat that you would like bust out, in, you know, in the middle of the subway. I know, it'd be weird. But it's just like this little, you know, DDR game that you would play, you know, on the tiny screen. Would the mat fit right over the D-pad and that was it? It would fit over the whole screen, uh, over the whole... Um, bottom bottom half of the console? Or? Bottom half, half of the console. And it would um, cover the A, B button as well. Mm-hmm. The way that worked is that you know, you had the normal direction, directional buttons, but with the Game Boy, you're limited. You know, if you press up, you can't go down at the same time. Oh, right. So what they did was that they made the A button the right arrow and the B button the up arrow. Oh, okay. It was like, it was spread, it was like spread across. Yeah. And then also, like, when you had to do the jumps and stuff like that, you could push those buttons and the directional pad. That's crazy. Man, I need to look this one up, too, because I... I mean, I'm picturing it in my brain, but... So this, this game um, was released in 2000. For the Game Boy Color, you said? Yeah, the Game Boy Color, and it would only work on the Game Boy Color because of the size of the pad. Oh, okay. Um, and it was actually a port of DDR uh, Second Mix. 
and so, so you know the, the sound quality was a huge downgrade i was gonna say was it all was it, was it all chip tune or was it, did they actually try to make it legit um i think it was mostly just chip tune like just the beat but you know it, it was still pretty recognizable i thought mm-hmm. it came with um three types of play styles so you could do single you could do couple or verses so you could connect two game boy colors with the link cable and actually play against each other huh in like a dance battle yeah in like a dance battle mobile dance battle there was a sequel to this one which was called uh dance dance revolution game boy 2 which would be released only two months later wow and then a third version would be released and it was a disney mix so there's three ddr games for the game boy color yep the first ddr game that would actually see a worldwide release was the dance dance revolution with mario for the gamecube that's wild yeah they definitely they didn't they didn't that was just in japan right the ddr game boy ones yeah the game boy ones yeah the game boy ones are only in japan the mickey mouse which i briefly met, uh mentioned is also only in japan did they i mean they must have sold like decently well if they made two sequels right yeah oh i mean the the second one maybe maybe they're just very cheap to produce yeah the second one came out only two months later so i, I guess they wouldn't really have any sales data the pad that you slipped onto the, the Game Boy Color, I assume it wasn't actually, like, connected in any way, right? Like, connected. No, it was just, like, something that you would press over. You could yeah. see which one was up, and so you could play it without it. Yeah, you could play without it. They also released a second pad um, that was, like, Disney-themed for the, the Disney mix. Man, that's wacky. And that's my second bit. <laughs> now, there's supposed to be a connection between the first two. Did Bomberman show up in this game? No. So my connection is actually very loosely tied. Hudson actually worked on um, DDR with Mario uh-huh. and also the Bomberman cart. Oh, okay. So when I started look- researching for this episode, I was first looking at Hudson projects, and that's how I decided. Is Hudson still around, or do they get absorbed by Konami? Or Yeah, they're, they're completely absorbed by uh, Konami. Well, I had no idea about DDR on the Game Boy or Bomberman cart on the PlayStation 2, so... I have to check them both out. Yeah. I did not know about the um, <laughs> the Clintons not owning the rights to the cat. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's all for now. Thanks for listening. We'd like to give a special shout out to talented chiptune composer Jamatar, who has once again allowed us to use his track Midori as opening and closing music. You can find out more about his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R on Spotify, or visiting Jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow, or on our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at Super Bentendo and Push Dust in, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, including Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Stuart Radley, and Harrison. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com backslash memcard. We'll be back soon with more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe. We'll see you soon. I mean, I'm, bl- I'm blowing on you to get... Ah! 300 yen! <laughs> <laughs>
Ah, get out of here. <laughs> Stop spitting on me. 